The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Well, it is really good to be here. Um, I have um, I spent some of some years in New Hampshire, lived up in Tilton, Northfield area for a while, lived in just right next door to Haverhill, which is the sending church for you guys, uh, in Merrimack. Spent my high school years there, so I am a New England guy. Galen's from Maine, uh, and somehow we ended up in Philadelphia, PA. I don't know how this works. You know how it is. You ask a New Englander, where is the last place on earth you'd want to live? The answer I would have said New Jersey growing up, uh, and then proceeded to live, we lived for 30 years, or 35 years in New Jersey, and then five years ago moved to PA and are in the Philadelphia area where we met uh, Jacob and Michelle and uh, established a friendship for life with them. Uh, it is, it's good to be here. It's good to just see what God is doing here and to see how God is working, God is blessing. Uh, and you know, I, I, I come, uh, you know, Jacob has asked if I would preach on suffering and comfort. And uh, those of you who have come from Haverhill, you might actually have heard this message about five years ago. Uh, when the Lord first gave it to me in the context of uh, tremendous afflictions and sorrows that were going on in our life at that point and and some of which still continue uh, today. So if you have heard this before, I hope it comes to you in a fresh way. Uh, And what I'm very conscious of is that we live in a broken world. We, We are broken people, that sufferings never end. That if particularly you have a sensitive heart, you have a caring heart, you have a heart that connects to people, connects to the world, connects to the real world in which you live, uh, then there is a sense in which you, you know the feeling of tears and, and tears perhaps uh, daily, if not daily, weekly, because you are aware uh, things are not as they ought to be, and things are not what one day they will be. Things now are broken, so we need to know our God. Uh, A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And friends, I agree with that wholeheartedly. What you think about when the word, the name God comes to mind, how you think of God, what you know about God, how you understand God, who you understand God to be, that is the most defining dimension of your life. It determines everything. What you think about God shapes everything about you. Every decision you make, every direction you take, every goal you set, every relationship you have, every sorrow you face, all of it is affected by and shaped by your knowledge of God. And so if Mr. Tozer is right, 
then I would suggest to you that Isaiah chapter 40 may be one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. Because it is a chapter that goes along perhaps with others like uh, Romans 8, uh, perhaps Ephesians 1 and 2, uh, maybe Revelation 21 and 22. There are, there's a handful of chapters that kind of rise above all the others as chapters that declare to us the being and the glory and the goodness and the love and the majesty and the soul-satisfying worth of, of God. Isaiah 40 has, for, for Galen and me, uh, been the, the part of God's word that the pretty much the totality of our life has been built on. This, this part of God's word has been to us comfort time and time again. Now, to understand it, we need to understand the context. So if you just go back a, pa- a page to chapter 39 and notice verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming... When all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left. So there's this prediction being made that the nation of Israel was going to be exiled to Babylon and nothing would be left. Everything that they owned, everything that they cherished, everything that they enjoyed, including their children, it says a little bit later on, everything was going to be taken away. If you think about exile, you, you realize that there may well be no human experience more devastating than exile particularly the kind that we're looking at here. This meant death of loved ones. This meant uh, bereavement. This meant poverty. This meant family breakdown. This meant the loss of roots. This meant the loss of homeland. This, for the uh, Jewish people, meant the loss of the temple. This, this lo- they lost everything. This was one massive affliction pile on going on in the the Jewish people's lives in ancient Israel. And, And I don't know about you, but I suspect that there have been times in your life when you have felt an affliction pile on where you have felt like one thing after another was breaking, one thing after another was grieving you, one thing after another was causing you tears. We we do live in a broken world. It is a broken world full of broken nations, broken bodies, broken promises, broken people, broken economies, broken political systems, broken relationships, broken wills, broken hearts, broken families, broken lives, broken spirits, broken churches. Every level, there's brokenness. And that means that at every level there are tears. Now, God sees what's about to happen to the people of Israel. 
And keep in mind, if you know the story, you will know that they were being exiled because of sin. They were being exiled because they were, had been rebellious toward God. And, and God was saying, okay, enough now. It's time, it's time for there to be some consequences. So on top of all the sorrow and all the grief and all the brokenness, there was guilt. Theirs, theirs was a situation that they could look at and say, we are suffering and it's our fault. Now, most sufferings in our lives, there is not a direct, specific, point-to-point connection between our sufferings and our sin. And if people teach you that, then I believe they're teaching you error. We are not always suffering because we've done something wrong. Sometimes that happens. But usually what happens, God brings suffering into our lives because God, for whatever his reasons, knows that we need suffering in our lives. But these people knew that they were suffering for their own sin. So all they can do is look in the mirror and say, this is our fault. We brought this on ourselves. We are to blame. We're in Babylon because we were in rebellion. So they had all of this sorrow and all of this guilt. And God says in chapter 40 and verse 1, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. God says, console my people. I I want you to speak tenderly, literally in the Hebrew, speak to the heart of my people. I find this very encouraging, and I hope you do too, that when God sees us in our sorrows and sufferings, even sorrows and sufferings caused by our sin, God does not condemn the grief. He comforts it. God God does not say, what are you grieving for? God says, comfort my people. My people need their hearts touched. Give them words, give them thoughts, give them truths that will speak tenderly to their hearts and bring them comfort and bring them relief from their sorrows. The God of all comfort and the Father of mercies, as Paul calls him, wants his people comforted in the deepest places of their hearts. Now, when God does this, When God says to Isaiah, I want you to comfort my people, they're going to lose everything. I want you to comfort my people. What does God say through Isaiah? And this is the whole point of Isaiah 40. Look at verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, Isaiah. It's God talking to Isaiah. Go on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Notice what God does. He sees his people suffering. He sees you suffering. He sees me afflicted. And he wants us comforted. How does he comfort us? He doesn't promise us great blessings. He doesn't promise us deliverance from our sorrows or our sufferings. He doesn't promise that he's going to fix everything. Well, he does. It is eventually going to be all fixed, but not right now. 
What does he say to, to Isaiah? What does he say to Israel? Here is your comfort. Behold your God. In other words, the comfort we need in our lives, brothers and sisters, is a fresh, clear sighting of the being and the glory and the majesty of God. If you are hurting, if your heart is broken, if you are weeping, if you are full of sorrow, full of fear, full of dread, what you need more than anything is to behold your God. You need to see God for who he is. This is your comfort. This is your hope. This is your strength. If, if you are feeling besieged by life, here is your fortress. Behold your God. If, if you are feeling restless and uneasy, here is your stillness, here is your peace, behold your God. If, if you live with pain, here, here is your balm, here, here, is, here is the ointment of grace, behold your God. If you are in chronic affliction, that never goes away and never never eases up, then here is your equally and surpassingly relentless grace and hope. Behold your God. If you're, if you're mourning the loss of a loved one, here is your truest and deepest comfort. If you are alone, here is the companion your soul needs. Behold your God. Fix your gaze on God. Get to know God better and deeper. That's the point of Isaiah 40. Now, I am very aware, believe me, I'm very aware that to say you need comfort, behold God, can sound very cliched. Sounds like a cheap and easy answer. Uh, I'm here to tell you this afternoon that for me, for Galen and me, this is no cheaper, easy answer. Um, we have come to see this, sense this, and been satisfied with God in the context of lives that are lived out in the same broken world that you live in. I don't know if you remember Paul in Second Corinthians, uh, the later chapters, he begins to to, to boast in his weakness. He begins to, to tell the Corinthians about all the struggles and the challenges and the heartaches that he felt. And I'm gonna take a page out of Paul uh, and his, his teaching there and, and just give you a bit of a summary of, just so you know that, all right, you know, Tim isn't just uh, spouting cliches here or platitudes. Um, this is just a bit of a summary. I could, this could be much longer. Um, but here, here's, here's a bit of a summary I, I wrote a while back over some, about some things going on in our lives. Our, our firstborn child, who is now 37, uh, was born essentially blind in one eye and afflicted with a permanent life-altering, everyday afflicting condition that has required countless doctor's visits, numerous surgical procedures, and deep and profound um, emotional and psychological trauma. Uh, a few years later, after that child was born, when I turned 30, which was 27, no, 20, 
20, almost 28 years ago, almost 28 years ago, I had a bout with viral meningitis. And uh, the virus somehow got into my nervous system and it damaged uh, the lining, the nerve, the meningesis, uh, and uh, left me in pain. I have been, I have a constant headache. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 300, no, for the last 28 years. All right. Um, constant level six, level seven, headache, pain. Dozens of doctors, numerous treatments haven't done anything to bring about relief. I have uh, pastored a church for 30 years uh, with all the challenges of small church and all the ups and all the downs and all the blessings and all the sorrows of that. Fast forward to uh, maybe eight or 10 years ago and, and life really began to get tough for us. Uh, we lost three of our parents uh, within just a few years, uh, it was one time when we had two dads. Uh, we've had two, Gaylene and me have had two fathers, a mother, a sister, a niece, and our 22-year-old son all with cancer within just a couple of years of each other. We have spent days, we spent weeks in vigil in hospitals uh, with two of our children as they teetered on the edge of death. We have spent months and years trying to nurture and love uh, uh, a child and others in our lives with acute depression. We have, uh, we know what it's like to be slandered. We know what it's like to be betrayed. Uh, we've had children who have struggled spiritually, who have wandered away from the Lord, and a couple still who uh, don't know Jesus. Um, we've, we've had church finance issues. We've, five years ago, this week, we, I think this week, uh, it was decided after 30 years in our church in New Jersey uh, that uh, we would be transitioning that church to another man. And, and uh, due to finances and health and other things, we, we had to move out of the home we had lived in for 25 years and, and move we didn't know where to, we didn't know what. And that's been life. It's been life, and uh, some of those trials that I've described continue on to this very moment, so that uh, we, we live every day of our lives with conscious sorrow. Um, uh, we live every day of our lives literally feeling like uh, we're, we're 10 seconds away from a really good cry. that's the portion that God has chosen for us. So when I, when I say to you that beholding God is the ultimate comfort, I am saying that to you from the crucible and from the furnace of affliction. Um, Isaiah 40 is a, is a portion of God's word that presents God to us in just astonishing ways. And I love to summarize Isaiah 40 with this statement, and I'm gonna, you're gonna hear it a few times in the next few minutes, so uh, if you're wanting to jot it down, uh, you'll have multiple opportunities to do this. But here's, here's my summary statement of Isaiah 40. God over all, God over all, because of Jesus, 
gives strength to the trusting weary. In his time, according to their need, to do the remarkable for his glory. So here's, here, that's Isaiah 40 in one statement. God overall, because of Jesus, gives strength to the trusting weary in his time, according to their need, to do the remarkable for his glory. Folks, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your afflictions, no matter the state of your finances, no matter how poor your health, no no matter how troubled your marriage, no matter how wayward your children, no matter how despondent or depressed your spirit, no matter how guilty and ashamed your conscience, God over all, because of Jesus, gives strength to the trusting weary in his time according to their need to do the remarkable for his glory. Let me, let me break that down into bite-sized portions for you. God over all. That's what Isaiah 40 is about, right? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The inhabitants are as grasshoppers. He rules over the nations. He rules over the kingdoms. He rules over everything. He's the the God who holds the waters in the hollow of his hands. He takes all the oceans and cups them in his hands. He's the God who knows the number of the the dust and the the grains of sand that are on planet earth. He's He's got the number in there. He's he's the God who looks at the stars and says, I got a name for all of them. And not one of them is missing unless, unless I say so. He is the God who never sleeps. He is the God you can't teach him anything because he already knows everything. He he is the God before whom all the nations are but a drop from a bucket. I love that. Oh, how we need to hear that in our generation, in our moment, don't we? Uh, we, look at, we look at all the nations. We look at our nation. We look at what's happening in Britain. We're looking at China and we're looking at North Korea and we're looking at ISIS. We're looking at all this stuff. And Isaiah says, they're all just drops from a bucket. What's the image there? The image is you have a full bucket and, and you're carrying the bucket and one drop falls out of that bucket. You don't even notice it. It's nothing. And God says, the nations are nothing compared to me. He is the God who because of his strength has made and named and numbered and sustained all the, all the stars, all the heavens. His, his hands are never tired. His eyes are never shut. His will is never frustrated. His plans are never scrapped. His love is never quenched. His promises are never broken. His mercies are ever new. His help is never late. His power is never taxed. His mind is never surprised. His throne is never threatened. His knowledge is never increased. His kindness is never restrained. His being is never changed. His decrees, his decisions, his judgments are never revoked. His word never fails. His truth never falters. His ways can never be predicted or changed. His paths can never be traced. He is the God whose depths can never be fathomed. He is God over all. He is God over all. And this God... As he is, in all of his glory, in all of his sovereignty, in all of his power, in all of his knowledge, he is for you. He is for you. 
No matter what's going on. This God is our God. This God is your God. This God is the God. The God. The God. And he works all things, Paul says, after the counsel of his own will. And he works all things, Paul says, for the good of those who love him. This, this is, Isaiah says, behold your God. Behold your God. What God, Isaiah? Well, the one and only God that is. The one and only God who sits supreme over all things. Keep your minds and hearts and eyes and gaze fixed on him. God over all. God over all, because of Jesus, gives strength. Because of Jesus. Now why do you and I as Christians have any claim upon this God? Why, why is this God who is over all a comfort to us? Why is he not a terror to us? Why is he for us? Well, we need to understand the gospel, don't we? We need to understand Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his stripes we are healed. The chastisement that brings us peace was laid on him. You see, the promise of healing, the promise of peace, the promise of comfort, the promise of hope, the promise of salvation comes to us because of Jesus who took our place on the cross as the great shepherd sheep. He who was and is the good and the great shepherd became a lamb, offered himself on the cross for us, took away our sins, took away our guilt, took away all of our iniquity before the Lord. And, and it's for that ultimately that God is able to say to the people of Israel, speak tenderly to Israel for their iniquity is pardoned. Jesus died for them. Jesus has died for you. And it's because of Jesus that God is for us. And it's because of Jesus that he gives strength. So God overall because of Jesus, gives strength. Notice it in chapter 40 and and verses 28 and 29. He gives power to the faint. You feeling weak? He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. You feel like you are utterly at the end of yourself? You got nothing? He gives you strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. The promise of God is for a direct, personal, real, inner, profound infusion of strength into our hearts as his children. God who is strong makes strong. That's the promise. So God overall, because of Jesus, gives strength to the trusting weary. To the trusting weary. Look at 
Look at the text, verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Those who are faint, those who have no might, those who are weary, those who are exhausted. In other words, those who are weak and they know it, those who are tired and they know it. You know, God's God's promise of grace and strength does not come to those who are self-sufficient, to those who feel strong in themselves, who feel like, I got this, I don't need God, I don't need anybody. God's promises come to those who are exhausted. God's promises come to those who are weak and who know they are weak, and they are the trusting weary. They are waiting on the Lord. The word means they are hoping in God. They are they're in the midst of the weakness, in the midst of the fatigue, in the midst of the tears. They are still trusting. God's, God's, God overall, because of Jesus, gives strength to the trusting weary in his time. Uh, this is the tough one. Believe me, I know. In his time. Where do I get that from in the text? Well, verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. I said this waiting is a hope, it's a trust, but it's, it's a trust even though there's delay. I don't know if you've ever noticed this with God. There is, there is almost always, if not always, a certain amount of time between your awareness of need and God's meeting of that need. The Christian life is a life of waiting. The Christian life is one in which God is never late, but he's never early either. He comes in his time. He comes at the right time. He comes when his coming will accomplish the most good the most blessing, the most joy, the most growth in our lives. You know, it's hard having a headache for 28 years. Um, You know how many times I've prayed for healing? You know know how many times people come up to me in contexts like this? I visit lots of churches and they come up and say, heard about your headache, can I pray for you? Can I put my hands on you and pray for you? I said, sure, please do, please do. But how many times it's, the answer's been wait. It's been wait. Or to have people we love that are in deep places of sorrow or affliction or depression or addiction. And you just long for them to be free. You just long. You long for them to be whole again, to be healed. You just, oh, uh, You know, we have loved ones that we can remember the day when the smile on their face radiated joy in the Lord. And they haven't smiled like that for 15 years now. We wait. We wait. Because God has his own timetable. God... God says there are times when um, the best thing is um, for it to come later. And we say, 
how long, O Lord, right? You ever noticed how many times that appears in the Bible? Even Jesus. How long, O Lord, must I put up with this twisted generation? Even Jesus, without doubting, without sinning, felt the grief of waiting. Waiting involves grieving. But the passage says to us, that's what we're called to. We're called to believe that God over all, because of Jesus, gives strength in his time. In his time. And it will be the right time. And it will be a glorious time. And it will be a wonderful time. But it is his time. We're not real good at waiting, are we? I don't know, we, we live in a culture, we are so wealthy, we are so prosperous by and large that when we have a need, generally speaking, we just go out and take care of it, right? So you, so you need a new washing machine, you just go down to the store and you buy one, or you need a new pair of shoes and you just go get some. Or, you know, we're so accustomed to immediate uh, supply of need that I don't, I don't think we realize that waiting can become something of a spiritual discipline. I, I want to encourage you to cultivate the spiritual discipline of waiting. And what I mean by that is the next time that you need something, the next time you something breaks in the house, don't just automatically run to the store to replace it. How about this? How about pausing and praying and saying, Lord, we need this. You were the God in heaven above who owns, as we heard earlier, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So, Father, everything in this planet is yours. Uh, would you please provide this for us? And how about waiting? I remember years ago now, I was, uh, we got our uh, driveway paved in, in New Jersey and uh, this was after living there, I think about 23 years, we finally said, okay, let's get this thing paved and, and uh, found out, oh man, paved driveway means I need a push broom. And, you know, because we had a ton of oak trees around, there were always leaves on it. Uh, didn't want to put out the money for a leaf blower, so we just went with the push broom. Uh, but even that, uh, call it stingy, call it waiting. I remember thinking, okay, we got a Home Depot literally 36 seconds away from the house. I could run down there and I can get myself a, a push broom. But something inside of me said, no, Tim, wait. Wait on this one. Wait on this one. And just prayed, Lord, supply us a push broom. Next day I go out for a walk and I'm walking through this old retirement village right near our house. And, and as I'm walking along, I do this a lot. I'm, I'm your basic uh, garbage picker other people's trash is my treasure and and it's amazing how you can you can find things I was walking along I saw this pile of stuff on the side of the road I walked over to it looked carefully and at the bottom of the pile there was this push broom Just sitting there for the garbage guys to pick up I picked up that broom sturdy much nicer than I would have ever paid for beautiful sturdy push broom, threw it over my shoulder like a Johnny Appleseed, and that kind of whistled my way home, you know, just amazed at my God. And I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories of how God in his time has provided for us. Five years ago, 
when we left New Jersey. When we left, we didn't know, like I said earlier, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what was next in our life in terms of ministry. Uh, the decision was made, and um, within a matter of a few weeks, we, we had to leave our home so that some, uh, we could rent it. We had a mortgage on it. We needed somebody to rent it. We didn't know where we were going to live, all this stuff going on. And uh, we just, the Lord just gave us a peace, and the Lord just quieted our hearts and just basically just said, wait, wait on me. Don't, don't panic here. Just like the father just saying, Tim, Galen, don't panic. Don't panic. I've got this. And we waited. And within a few days... Uh, the Lord opened up a place for us to live in Havertown, PA, the same place we're living in right now. Um, turned out that that place was uh, offered to us because the people who owned it had heard from the Lord. They had had a sense from the Lord that they were not to rent this apartment because somebody was going to need it. That happened a week before we made the decision to leave the church. God was already providing, already providing. You know what? Last fall in September, God called us to start a new church just outside of Philadelphia in Drexel Hill, the next town over from Havertown. He knew five years ago where we needed to live to be a part of this new church. The Lord in his time the Lord in this time. I could give you stories. I could just give you one story after another, but you know it. You know it in your own life. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God overall, because of Jesus, gives strength in his time according to their need. And I'll try to hurry through here. According to their need. Did you, did you notice verse 31? There's, there's different kind of strength here. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Notice that there's three different kinds of strength given here. There's, you might call it soaring strength. Mounting up with wings like eagles. This is strength, I believe, that you need in those certain moments of life where the, the crisis and the need are so serious, so grave, so heavy that you need to be lifted above it. You need somehow or other to soar above it, to not be weighed down by it, to, to mount up with wings as eagles and, and to be able somehow to look at it all from God's perspective and to have strength to soar. Then there are times in your life when you need to run. If you've got young kids, you know that one. Right? You know, where, where it's every day is full speed ahead. Every day you look at your schedule and say, how in the world am I going to get all this done? There's so much to do that God is calling me to, and you're running, but God gives strength for it. Then there are times, many times, most times, when you have to walk. I am finding now that I'm getting older that... Most of life is about the next step. Most of life is about taking the right step, the next step. Being faithful, walking on, keeping going, taking the next step. And in many ways, I think that's the most remarkable grace of all. 
There's soaring strength for those who need to get above the sorrows. There's running strength for those who are going full tilt in family and ministry and work and all the rest. There is walking strength that really will be for all of us at some point in our life where it is just our responsibility to take the next step and God gives grace for that. God overall, because of Jesus, gives strength to the trusting weary in his time according to their need to do the remarkable for his glory. To do the remarkable. What's remarkable here? Well, you run and you don't get weary. You soar. And you walk and you don't faint. You keep on keeping on. Some of you are testimony. I don't know you, but I know this to be true. Some of you in this room are testimony to the remarkable grace of God. You are pushing on. You are pressing through despite the afflictions, despite the trials. And it's for his glory because only he is sufficient for these things. Only he and his strength can carry you in the way you're being carried. God overall, because of Jesus, gives strength to the trusting weary in his time, according to their need, to do the remarkable for his glory. You know, I was thinking about this as I close. There's, this text teaches us two things. One, God is our comfort. That, that isn't a cliche. That's not a platitude. That is the very heart and soul of life. And until you get it, you're never going to be comforted. God is our comfort. Not healing. Not a new job. Not a husband or a wife or an obedient child. Or God is our comfort. And then secondly, this passage teaches us that God is our mission. God is our mission. What does God tell Isaiah to do? Get up on the mountain. What does he tell the people of Israel to do? Lift their voice and say, behold your God. You know what Manchester needs? They need God. That's not a cliche. God, God is our mission. People don't need a church where they get everything fixed. People don't need a church where, you know, everything is perfect. People don't need a church where they hear happy things all the time. People don't need a church where all the graphics and all the developments are just state-of-the-art. People need God. You want to make a difference in Manchester. You, you want to have something to say in this generation. Give people God. Give people this God. Not some cheap substitute for this God. Give them this God. A God who is overall, sovereign over all things, who despite our many sins, 
pardons us because of Jesus Christ. Give them a God who is big and holy and majestic and sovereign and powerful and in control of everything. A God who is infinite in glory, infinite in majesty, infinite in love, infinite in beauty, satisfying the soul. Give them that God and, and you'll have something worth giving. That's what Manchester needs. Be faithful in it, brothers and sisters. Be faithful in it. Wherever you are, wherever you are, try to live and love in such a way that people see a bit of God in your life. And they start to ask you, what's up with you? What's up with you? And you're able to say, by the mercy of God, I am what I am because my God is great and my God is good and my God is king. My God's on the throne. My God's bigger than all the nations and all the problems and all the issues and all the sins and all the economies and all the wars and all the hatred and all the bigotry. My God's bigger than it all. That's what Manchester needs. God is our comfort God is our mission. Um, Let me pray for you right now that God would be both to you individually and as a church. Oh, Lord, our God, you are great and you are good. Those words... Those words, Father, are not mere words. Each of them, small, simple words, great and good. Oh, they are massive words. When attached to you, you are great and you are good. You are king and you are kind. You are comfort. And you are our mission, our message. You are great and you are good. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray for each one here, whatever their circumstances, that they would know today, this evening, right now, that you were great and you were good. Father, be with this young church. Grant to it a strength so that they will mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Oh, Lord, help these people to run in the way of your mission and your commandments. Help them to to run with energy, with faith, with devotion. Help them to walk. Never get weary or faint. Help them to climb up onto a high mountain. Help them to 
Find that spot in the workplace, in the neighborhood, at the grocery store. Where they can stand and they can declare, behold your God, here is God. He is great and he is good. Lord, give us courage and faith and strength in the mission. Thank you for these people, Lord. Thank you for Jacob and Michelle and their commitment to be here, for others who have made sacrifices to be a part of this. Pour out your goodness, pour out your greatness, pour out your spirit upon them and cause their labors in the midst of Whatever sorrows are going on, cause their labors to be blessed and their love to bear fruit. I thank you for them. Help them to know that God overall, you, God, you who are overall, because of Jesus, will give strength to them. In your time, according to their need, to do the remarkable here in Manchester for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.